Hello everyone, and welcome to Zoom Out. I'm your host, Scott Paracchio. I'm a physical therapist by trade, but one of my favorite aspects of my job is the opportunity to build meaningful human connections. Within the setting that I'm most familiar, my clients are often going through the most traumatic experiences of their lives when I feel human connection is most important. In my experience, moving through these traumatic events with individuals allows people who are otherwise very different to build strong and meaningful relationships with one another. The goal of this podcast is to build these same meaningful relationships in our everyday lives by having discussions meant to bridge gaps that we perceive in our own relationships with others. Against the current backdrop of global pandemic, economic crisis, and political strife, there is no better time than now to zoom out away from our own myopic viewpoints and come together as what we all are, human. In each episode, two topics will be discussed with this idea in mind, one chosen by myself and the other by my guest. No topics are off the table. Joining me on the podcast today is my grandmother, Lavero, who affectionately and appropriately goes by Grandma Love in our family. And with that, let's get started. All right, and we are recording now. So welcome, Grandma Love, to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I know that we had already talked about this, but I've been really, really excited to get you on here. Uh, I formulated these questions thinking about you as I wrote them, um, because I think you have a lot of valuable experience and understanding about some of the topics that I want to talk about. Um, and I want to share those ideas and thoughts with the people listening. So I really, really appreciate you spending um, hours with me today, is what it's <laughs> here. Um, Glad to, Scott. I'm really excited to do this. So if you don't mind getting us started with a little bit about yourself, um, give us a little bit of background about who you are as a person. And maybe that starts with um, titles or things that you identify with strongly at this point in your life. Strongly is the most, as the grandparent parenting that I do. I consider myself grandma love. That's big with me. Basically, I am a widow of a husband that changed my life. And then I remarried to a very kind man, opposite of the one that I was married to beginning, in the beginning. And now I have been for, 20, for 32 years married to a kind man. We've moved to Wisconsin, which was a big change in our lives. And now I am a retired person working in a dental clinic. So now just a retired person who's living in this pandemic, being confined to our apartment. Yeah, so isolated, right? Um, Isolated. That's another reason why I think uh, one one of the positives about technology these days is that we can still stay connected in some way. You know, I can still see your face because we're doing this call via Zoom, and that's a wonderful thing. It's not the same as in person, I can't hug you, but at least at least we have this. Um, yes, and that's what I miss the most, the contact with people, the physical contact. Yeah, because I know with you- my were, grandchildren, with my children, yes. Yeah. And I know that you've had some contact with your great-grandchildren now. I know we have had two new additions to the family in the last four years, um, and I know that you're a big part of their lives. Um, so. I know that it's probably a really big shift for you, but hopefully that time is at least coming closer to an end. I hope so. 
So the big, the big thing that I want to talk about, you mentioned a couple of really interesting tidbits in there that I want to dive into. And as always, I want you to feel free to share what you want. But if you feel like you don't want to talk about anything, then you always have that space to say, no, I'd rather not talk about that too. So right. you mentioned um, Grandpa Joe, who yeah. I unfortunately never got to meet because um, he passed right before I was born, if, I, if, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Absolutely. And I'm sorry you never got to meet him too. Yeah, so I've, I've heard nothing but wonderful things about him as a person. Perfect by no means. But I think that I'm, I'm really lacking some understanding from your perspective. I've had, I've had just my mom's perspective on, on what Grandpa Joe meant to her or her father, um, but Grandpa Joe to me, even though I didn't meet him. But I was just curious about some of the things that really stick with you um, about him that you still think about on any sort of, with, a, with any sort of normalcy? What stays with me is he was such a staunch moral man, a staunchly Catholic, which I was a new Catholic when I met him. Actually, let me back up a little bit here. I worked with a girl at the telephone company when we were both 16. And she was, anyway, as we talked and got to be very good friends, she was telling me she wanted to be a nun. And I was asking her, why do you want to be a nun? Why give up all this fun life here? And she started telling me about God. I hadn't had any much of a description of God in my life before that. It led me to taking instructions for the Catholic faith. I was taking instructions and I became a Catholic. Shortly after that, I met Joe Ledger, who would not have dated me even if I hadn't been Catholic. So that's a big thing in my life. Yeah. So he started me in on the Catholic way of living, mainly a lot of kids right away. And so that's why I say he was a very moral man. He was very much interested in being something in, his, in the business world. He wanted to make something of himself. So he, was, he came to Chicago to meet my, with my brother to open a judo school, which they did. And then we got married, and then he needed to have some other income, so he worked at Goldblatt's in the retail, and he hated it. But we were having children, and we moved out of Chicago, where he had a long drive to make. He, it just, he was just sticking with what he was doing in life, whether it was good or bad. At one point, he said he felt trapped. And I understand that we were both trapped because we were having children that needed our care. And you, know, you couldn't do anything but be a parent. Yeah. Anyway, he was very likable man. He had good friends and he loved to tell stories about his service. He was a paratrooper and he just liked to tell stories about his life then and he liked, liked to laugh. He was just well liked by everybody and deeply devoted to his children and they to him. So it was a uh, a big change when he got sick and died within six months of when they, he found out he had pancreatic cancer. He died six months later. 
that was a big impact on his children and still is an impact. And uh, so three years later, I married Ambrose Sears, who was different in the way that he wasn't as physical as, as uh, Joe was. Joe loved to play sports, baseball, bowling, whatever, sports, golfing. And Ambrose is more of a thinker. Yeah. And he's a deeply religious man also. Yeah. So that's in a way has changed my life too. Yeah. And you know, to Wisconsin was a big thing. Yeah. And I know, you know, through, through my life, I've always remembered Ambrose being there and his presence. And yeah, I think he does exude this, this kindness and this gentleness really. And I think gentleness is, is really the, the correct word to describe Ambrose. You know, he's a, he's a very soft-spoken man. You could tell he's a contemplative man. Like he's always thinking and yeah, I, I, I do. I feel that way about him as well. Um, I've had some even even brief, our brief interactions with each other, um, less so as an adult now that I've been gone for 10 years. So I know that uh, that's also something that I've thought about a lot during this time away is just how, how little I interact with my own family. Um, mm. There are a few reasons for that. I think to give you an idea, which you probably, you've probably had that question before is my guess, but you don't have to say yes or no to that. But, you know, I think a lot of times, at least in our society now, and I think you probably see it with most of us grandkids is, you know, the, 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 I think there, there are misconceptions. I think also our, our generation is looked at as, you know, things that may be entitled. And I know that these are not your words that you would say, but the perception in the media is that we're in, we're an entitled generation or, you know, we don't like to work as hard. I, I find the opposite a lot, at least with those closest to me. When I look at somebody yes. like Joe Ryan or our RJ, uh, which are, are my cousins, and I see extremely hardworking people. I know that those close to me are extremely hardworking people to the point where, you know, we're working, we're working 40, 40 to 65 hours a week. And most of the time it's in that higher part of that. And I think it gets really difficult to balance work and life with this, this lifestyle that we lead because we have to do this to stay ahead or get ahead in some way. Um, and still remaining close. That's what means a lot to me as a grandmother that my grandchildren are all close, really yeah. close. Yeah, and even though they live far apart, they remain close, get together, and they're right there again. Yeah, and it's just a, it's a, we're having a really unique opportunity now. Joe is actually moving up to Oregon right now, mm-hmm. driving mm-hmm. From San Francisco to Hood River to be with uh, his wife Courtney and and her family at least for the short term. And I don't know how long that's gonna last, but I hope it lasts a long time. That's me being yes. selfish, mm-hmm. but I think it's. It's hard because I put so much energy into my work and those in my immediate vicinity that I, I find myself coming home after a work day and not having the energy and the time to put into those to those um, farther relationships, those ones yes. that are farther away. And right. they're all excuses. These are all excuses that I use for myself or justify it. But, but it's reality, Scott. It's the reality. Sure, and I think there is that. I don't have that much time to 
do everything. Yeah. And I wish I, I wish I did. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of value. I think there, there are choices that I make within who I talk to where I know the people who I know uh, love for me is very strong. And maybe this is backwards thinking. Those who I feel like love me the strongest that will understand a, a, a period of silence or quiet from me. Yes. That they, that they know and understand that that love is reciprocated still. And that when I do have the time and energy that I'm going to come back in some way um, or speak to them in some way and have meaningful conversations and all these things. And they're not going right. to be. And it's rare when we have that with somebody, with a friend or with family. It's rare to have that connection that's right there again, this, no matter how many years or miles. Exactly. There's exactly. still that, that connection, that closeness. So that's, that's another reason why I hope to do something like this via this podcast, because I think these questions are things that we should all know about each other. Um, you know, again, I've been gone for 10 years, which means I've been gone since I was, you know, 22 years old. Um, I left home and I haven't been back a lot, which means that I haven't been back as an adult, like really an adult to have some of these conversations that I want to have in person, um, which is why I'm doing it here. Uh Really made me want to maximize the time that I have with those people who I really feel close to and I want to get to the bottom of it. You know, I, I yes. want, want to really foster some, some solid understanding um, uh-huh. in those people around me that I love so much. But this can be turned out on, on any sort of level. If you look at some of the things going on right now with civil rights, for instance, if, oh. if the people on both sides, and I, I don't want to make this one side versus another because I don't think that's the right way to go about this, but if you take a police officer who is acting aggressively towards someone and you take that person who is being acted aggressively towards and looking at that police officer, if they both understood each other where they were coming from, maybe we wouldn't have this. If it was more personal, right? Yeah, so right. If they understood the struggles that both of them have had in their lives, because everyone's had struggles in their lives. Nobody's... Nobody has gone through and just had no stress in their life and they're just, they're angry or they're, they're manipulative or they are um, strongly biased. Um, or if, even if we want to say racist in a way, mm-hmm. without, without some context, because there's always context there. You know, this, this is the way that they're, and there's no excuse for that, but there is, there is at least context for the way that people are feeling about one another. Um, yes. Because I think if we all understood that about each other, we would, we would be in a better place. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that even if, even if a few people listen to this and say, you know, I, I really want to go home and I want to ask some people these questions that were talked about in this podcast, I consider this a really great success. I'm hoping that that's where this goes. But I really yes. want to foster that with you specifically because that's that's just you have a lot of experience and and Um, a lot of insight into this and again you're you're in this space now and with isolation a lot of us have more time to think and reflect on these things which i have two months off of work and now i actually feel re-energized 
to to do something like this and to put my energy where I need to. So with that, I want to ask you this this bigger question, and you already touched on it a little bit, but what up to this point has been the most inf impactful, meaningful uh, circumstance or scenario moment that you've had in your life up to this point? That moment was when I became a Catholic and met Joe Ledger because I feel that from that time on, my life has been directed by God. So God in my life has been the biggest impact that I've had throughout all these years since then. I was 18 when I turned Catholic. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm staunchly Catholic. I'm not. I consider myself more Christian. I don't really go by the Catholic rules as much as Joe Ledger did. And maybe that's part of it, too, because I thought he was so staunchly churched. And I wasn't that uh, I, I just couldn't understand why somebody would say, no, definitely no birth control. Absolutely not. Why would anybody be so staunch when they were having a hard time supporting these children? Yeah. Anyway, so that was the most impactful thing of my life at that point. Okay. And then being married to him, being such a, a good man and people looked up to him and all that. Uh, that was just a, a whole better direction in my life than what I had in my childhood, which was call it dysfunctional. Yeah. And uh, so that was where love entered my life. And that's a biggie. Okay. And from then on, it's my children mean the world to me. I am sad that I'm not able to be with them, although we do communicate frequently. And I was fortunate enough to get together with the girls a week ago, which was great. I, again, I say I am so pleased, so happy that my children are close and my grandchildren are close. That gives me such great feeling of warmth and love. I'm glad that if it was part of our being, our raising them that came to this, whatever it was, I'm thrilled with it. I loved when we all got together when the children were little, grandchildren were little, yeah. enjoyed watching them, enjoyed each year as I see them staying close, even though moving far from each other. That's about it, Scott. Yeah. That's about it. That's, That's it. about it as far as, I mean, yeah. the most impactful time yeah. of my life. Yeah, and that's there's a lot of really interesting things that I want to talk about within there. So um, you mentioned Catholic versus Christian um, as two different thought systems, and you you know that I I grew up similarly went to a Catholic school growing up uh, K through eight at least, and then mm -hmm. the public school system after that. But I think that that early part of my life when I was in Catholicism. I think kind of turned me away in a lot of ways because of the Catholicism of it versus the Christianity of it. Um, and That's I, exactly what I mean. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm really curious about what your thoughts, it sounds like you had a lot of similar thoughts as to what I have, um, or at least yes. able to step back and say like, well, Catholic faith was built on this whole idea here, but we're getting away from the message of this person who was clearly a very, you know, mythical being, right? He right, right. This uh, 
you know, compared to like Buddha or something like that, walking in the same lines, this guy who mm-hmm. would, somebody who would take anybody in and care for everyone, no matter what, where I feel yes. like faith has turned so far away from that, where it is about these ideals and, and the, who we, who we can love and all these things or what we can I do. I agree with you. Yes. And that, that's exactly the, what I felt that Catholic is too many rules and restrictions and they weren't really leaving love into it. Yeah. When Joe and I made what was called a curseo, which definition was a, a short walk with Christ. That's when I became more, much more Christian because they talked about Christ being part of this world and what we can do to be more Christ-like, and that is loving, forgiving, understanding, compassion, all of those good things. That's yeah. what Christianity means to me. Yeah. And I'd rather be known as a Christian than as a Catholic. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with you there. Um, and I, and I, I'm really more agnostic these days. I feel like I, that most of us walking around as long as we're trying to do those exact things and, and lead this lifestyle um, and keep those things in our minds all the time, that it's going to be really important for us to move forward. And, and, and really, and this, it's just more about my resistance to the Catholic church versus this idea of Christianity that I, that I have those ideas. Um, but you but know, know that I pray for you every day. Yeah, every day, my grandchildren are in my prayers to make that, wise choices to be safe, yeah. strong children. Right, and I think I think that's absolutely true. So you touched a little bit on um, the fact that a lot of those times that you had reflected on when we were growing up and we were all together, when I had interviewed Joe for the podcast, which was my first episode, he mentioned that to be one of his most formative experiences were those summers mm-hmm. that we spent all together in like Lake Geneva or up at his at, at the place at your, at your house, at his parents' house, um, in those early, like first 15 years of our lives. And I was, yes. I was kind of surprised by that, but when I reflected on it, you know, it was really powerful because it does, it, it set up this, this, um, kind of ideal that. Because it began at your birth. It began when you children were all born and we're always being together. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really special. And I think showed us a lot about what family can be and how strong we can yes. all be together. Um, a yes. lot have stayed in touch, you know, again, Joe, Joe and I are, are best friends are close to it. You know, we, we yes. have yeah. the time and we're about to go on this backpacking trip starting Thursday for about 10 days. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We're really looking forward to that and, and spending some time together in that way. But yeah, it's been, it's been really interesting to look back on that period of time and kind of make sure that you're focusing on some of the positives that had happened. Yes in your life because i think oftentimes and and this may just be the way that our brains function but the negative events seem to hold a lot more power than the positive ones the negative Mm -hmm. things tend to tend to grip you a little bit stronger than the positive feelings that you have um and i wanted to i wanted to ask you something because you you mentioned that when you met joe that and I'm talking about Grandpa Joe. Um, when you met Joe, that you were feeling loved, and you mentioned kind of a dysfunctional childhood or or something that had been off in, when you were growing up. And I was curious if you would 
open up about that a little bit so I could better there understand. Was no expression of love in my youth. No expression. In fact, it was more negative. Those parents were uptight people. Yeah. I guess they were struggling to make their place in the world to be able to have some money where they came up so poor. Whatever it was, they didn't respond to the children unless it was negative. Okay. So I, like I say, I didn't know anything about God. I didn't know anything much about love. I had a very close relationship with my mother's brother. That's my uncle Clyde. Mm -hmm. He meant everything to me because he treated me with love when we did get together. Of course, he lived in another state, so we didn't see each other often. Anyway, he was very close to me. So that, that was the person and another Aunt Mabel who came to our house once in a while, and she was more a mother to me in that respect than that she showed me love and she showed me that she cared, and another Aunt Margaret. And so it was more the outside relatives that made an impact to me. They showed me that they cared. It didn't happen in my household, my own close family. So when I met Joe Ledger, it was a whole different way of life. Yeah. You know, there was love there. And just the whole, like I began to live again, began to be a person again. But in those days when a woman got married, she gave up herself and became wife and mother. And that was the identity. I'm a wife and then a mother, and that's who I am. Only did I realize this after Joe died and I felt uh, almost a freedom that I could make my own decisions. It was just a whole different way. And I think that's what happens when people marry young. They don't really identify themselves until circumstances identify them as being father, mother, so forth. After Joe died, I felt like, okay, I, I can make my decisions. I, have, I became more of a person who I used to think that I was. Okay. Anyway. And, and uh, Grandpa Joe, what was his family background? Was it, was it similar to how he kind of presented himself, where he had, he had this yes. household and yes. kind of carried that Strict forward? parents, they did what the priest told them to do. The priest told them how to live their lives. And that's how Joe went through it. He had, the parents were loving, but they weren't, they were still in that era where you didn't show a lot of love. Yeah. They weren't huggy-feely kind of parents like we are today. He went to uh, a way to school. He went into Canada to an uh, all-boys school, and that kind of judged him. You know, he was big in sports and everything there, so he was away from family at that point, and then chose to join the Army, and then started making good friends in the Army, and I think that's when he opened up as a person okay. through the Army, and he met my brother through the Army, and that's how we got together. Okay. Anyway, another question? Yeah, yeah. Um, this this idea that you touched on as well with, um, you know, you had this freedom, the sense of freedom after he had passed away, and and obviously there are some there's there's obviously some sadness there too. Absolutely. Um, but 
the the freedom it's it's interesting because i've looked at my past relationships and i've had a couple of really long relationships with my partners um four years six years two years and mm. i always tend to go back and forth like i'm i'm it, on personalities in a lot of ways so for every every relationship that's a little bit more um intense or but like where where there's a little more volatility um and that just that doesn't mean yelling or anything like that just there's there's a little bit more stress involved in the relationship i feel yeah. like the the response to that in my next partner is to have something a lot more calm like the flip side and a more a more what i didn't get that word calm calm and like almost calm. No. oh yes yes that's what i see with ambrose too more calm yeah. and i feel like i'm kind of following this path of like okay i'm 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 finding this this ideal um with my partners i'm kind of going say that there's this line that you're trying to find and this person was volatile but had all these other great qualities and then that it didn't work out for any number of reasons and then you're you bounce back and you have this perturbation on this other side and you say well that didn't work out for this person let me try to find the opposite some of the opposite personality traits and now that i've gone through time i feel like my last few partners have been very close to this line and the the perturbations are smaller um in terms of finding this 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 right or or best person or my person if you want to call them that um, and i'm curious what that ebb and flow was like moving from grandpa joe to ambrose you and again you already touched on it a little bit but it seems like they do have some similar qualities to them but they're they're both very different in terms of how they approached life they do right and then i explained it as joe was more physical yeah in his his uh, lifestyle where ambrose is more a thinking person, evaluating and thinking, you know, and seeing where his place is and trying to bring his his Christian thoughts to to others. He has a Holy Communion service that he does with people in nursing homes and they get very close to him. Forceful, I think, would be kind of a word to describe Joe Ledger in comparison to Ambrose. Yeah, so forceful is the word. Mm -hmm. Okay, and there, there seems to be a contrast here, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm making some presumptions, but um, the relationship that you had with Joe, or was it much different compared to the relationship that he had with all of his kids, or was it similar? very similar but similar okay in emotions he was more openly emotions with the children than he was with me okay and do you feel like your relationship with the kids was similar where you're you were more giving you more of your emotions to the kids or were, do you feel like you were giving more of your emotions to him I would say more equal, but probably more to the children, of course. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, like like we had kind of talked about before, you had how many kids and how many years? But I felt more freer to present my emotions to the children. That was probably the other word. I was freer. Okay. 
Gotcha. So you had you had Michael, then my mom, then eleven months. <laughs> and you were That's how old? Then you were how old when this happened? I was twenty-one the day after Michael was born. Actually, it was hours just before Michael was born. I was turned twenty-one. Okay. Okay, so essentially your 21st birthday, you give birth to Michael. And then Julie was, how old were you when you had Julie? 37. 37. So big difference there. Seven, seven kids over the course of 16 years. Actually, it was six kids within 10 years. And okay. then six years later, Julie. Okay, gotcha. All right. So parenting style through all of that, what changed? Because it had, it had to change, right? There's no way that you can have two kids within a year and, and give the same amount of attention to everyone. And then especially one on top of another, on top of another, it has to change, right? There wasn't time to make a change. Okay. It, you just did what you needed to do. And that's, that's where I think my kids let, missed out. Michael described it one time as saying he felt like the bird that got pushed out of the nest too soon. And that is probably just the way he felt. Yeah. Because your mother is a stronger personality. And she was more vocal and, and emotional, showing emotions than Michael was. And, and still to this day, he is more of a laid back thinker, you know, and I kind of, uh, you know, in, in interacting with, with Mike, I think some of my memories having everyone together as a, as a kid, Mike was always the one that, that I really enjoyed being around as a kid. You know, he was, he was the one that would, you know, kind of like tickle torture us using his words um, and kind of be rambunctious with us kids. And I think maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. It's interesting to think about, but uh, Michael also, as even as a kid came across to me as kind of a deeper thinker as well. And somebody that I would still to this day kind of trust to have some really interesting conversations as well. You know, obviously there's, there's struggles. Again, everybody has their struggles um, growing up in probably a familial system where there's seven kids and, and two parents. And um, even, even in my childhood being the third of four, that's within six years which is pretty tight as well. And my mom may maybe felt the same way that you do or still feels the same way that you do in some ways. But yeah, there's certainly, there's certainly things that you feel looking as a child to your parents and recognizing differences in There was another uh, heavy influence in their growing up. My mother was, treated your father like he didn't exist. Or, I mean, treated Joe Ledger like he didn't exist. Yeah. And that hung over the whole growing up of their kids. She would come in and use us. And I'm saying because if my older brother came in town, she would want me to be do the cooking for and serving meals to them. But she wouldn't come in because she wasn't speaking to me because I was pregnant again or something. You know, she always had an excuse to avoid being over, but she would use us. Okay. 
because then they got a dog and then the, the apartment wouldn't allow the dog. So she gave us the dog to, to take care of, yeah. not to enjoy so much, but to take care of. So, I mean, there was that influence and it was a heavy influence in there growing up. But yeah. she was a favorite too. Michael was the favorite. Your mother was not. Yeah. And I've heard, I've heard some stories. Um, obviously, I interacted with, this is, this is Grandma Grace, right? Yes, it was. Yeah, so I interacted with her a little bit as a, as a child. I have some, some vague memories of her. But what I can understand and glean from this is that she, and I, and I don't know if this is true, but uh, favorited some of the boys over the girls. Is yes. that generally true? Absolutely. Okay. No favorite of girls until Elise came along. Okay. For some reason, she latched on to be Elise being yeah. a favorite. Yeah, and that's really interesting, too, just to think about the dynamics. And again, coming from this place of we need to have understanding for each other, obviously she was, she was groomed to be that way by somebody or some situation, right? Like, what was her family structure like? In her childhood. Yeah. Because her, her brother and her sister were the opposite of her. They were very loving, just strong influence in my life as far as loving went. Yeah. And and this is this is Clyde and Mabel. Yes. Yeah. Margaret was her sister, so Clyde Mabel was a sister-in-law. Okay, gotcha. Who, who couldn't have children, so it was like I was her long-lost daughter, and that's the way I wanted to think of her too. Yeah, and that's that's pretty amazing. Um, mm. you know, and my mother speaks obviously very highly of of Clyde and Mabel as well, and I know that one of the biggest memories that I have as a kid is going out to the farm in, in Michigan. But that was just one time. Uh, and probably the only reason I remember is because there was there's some family video. That was that. distance, you know, distance and uh, the time element and not being able to get there more often. But I think that that experience too opened up my eyes quite a bit. Yeah, we, we grew up in a more rural setting than she did. You know, obviously my mom grew up in the area that you did. Um, yeah. And then moving to Wilmington, Illinois, in the middle of nowhere, uh, it's a challenge. It's a culture shock in a lot of ways, but even going out to like Clyde's farm and having that experience was much different than I was used to as a kid, even growing up in a very small town. So I know that probably had a big, big uh, influence on my mom in some way. And maybe she thought that's what her life could be like Clyde's <laughs> as, a, as, as she came out to Wilmington. I don't know, I don't know, but something interesting to think about, okay. As we're kind of running down on time here, I know that I had proposed to you an opportunity to ask a, a question of me. But in, in lieu of that, um, I know that you we ran into some technical difficulties starting this off, but um, one of the bigger things that I was really curious about your opinion on was kind of the, the status of um, race relations now compared to what it was like in the 60s and 70s because I know that that was a, you, obviously during that same period of time, you're, you're having a lot of kids. I'm curious what your perspective is like and what it, what's different then versus now. And when you felt like this uh, revolution that happened in the 60s kind of stopped moving forward, if, if you felt that way at all even. In the 60s, in fact, uh, well, sometime in the 60s, after Joe and I made the Curcio that introduced us to uh, black people. 
So and we never considered, we never had friends or people that were close, but we became close to a couple that had several children also. We would go to their neighborhood and I don't know that they came to our neighborhood much, but anyway, we, we would go there and we would have picnics and the kids played with each other and your mom remembers them. Yeah. And uh, that was our introduction to some black people that we consider the same as we were. We were young parents trying to raise families and we shared a lot of uh, the same values in life and that. And then I think that was when we moved out of Austin neighborhood that we the, the, somehow something happened in life. Well, they her, she was sick, I mean, the mother. And so we didn't get together that much anymore. I don't really remember why, but I know when the relate race relations came up, I knew a woman that lived in that. In fact, her building was one that burned. And we would talk together after that too. And she, she became bitter towards, it was white against black at that time. The difference now that's going on seems to be the black people and the white people are together trying to get the government to change, to see people equal. Yeah. Back in the 60s, it was black against white. And that's, what, that's to me what the difference is now with race relations. I had, a, like I said, we had this black people that were, I've had just occasions now and then to be friendly with the black woman, but not anything like I have deep friendships now that I've had yeah. long standing in life and then my friend next door. So I don't have the opportunity to have uh, any outings with black people at this point. Okay. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, I didn't, I didn't obviously live through the, the civil rights movement in the '60s, but um, this right now feels, it, it must feel different. And I think that's a really interesting idea that you brought up in terms of it, it feeling like it was black versus white, then, um, especially in the South. Let um, me tell you one occasion that Joe Ledger and I had. We had gone downtown, down to the downtown area of Chicago and over to the little bit on the north side where it was, uh, uh, oh gosh, now the, thing, the word has gone out of my head. Um, anyway, we were driving along. It was on a Friday night and it was dark. And we drove down a place where there was a bus sitting by next to a fire station at the light the bus windows were broken. Some of them were broken and we thought, gee, that's odd. And the light changed and we drove on. Well, we came to a place where all of a sudden we were being stoned by kids on each side of the street, throwing stones and concrete at our car when they broke all the windows in the car. And Joe stopped and Nike was gonna get out and we said, go, 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 get out. So we went and we drove on to a police station. So that was our, those are black kids. They see a white face in the car and they threw stones. So that was our immediate uh, thing with race relations. Okay. Do you feel like that, that caused you to sour towards the movement, given the fact that there was kind of this unprovoked um, violence? No, so it was just... It was just a 
stay out of that area. Okay. And I know when my uncle came to town one time years later, and I told him, please don't drive through there. And he also got stoned at that time okay. when he drove through that area. Okay. So, yeah, that was mainly, okay, I got to stay away from that area. That's my whole feeling about that. So something, something that uh, maybe, maybe is more similar than I would have thought it to be, you know, growing up in a super small town in middle of nowhere, Illinois, was the fact that we just didn't interact with many people of color, whether that's black or Hispanic or Asian or any, any other culture. Um, right, right. Because of, at least, at least from our perspective, there was nobody around. There was this very few people of color anywhere around our town because most most people were um, towards more of the major cities, or definitely not in rural America. And I think that that culture that we're seeing on blast a lot more this more of this uh, at least from my perspective, um, you know, racist belief system, but more of the more of these ideas are are coming from rural America, or I see a connection coming from rural America where you have these people who are supporting somebody like a Donald Trump, who, although he claims he is Catholic and Christian, does not behave like it at all. And you have these communities of people, again, calling themselves Catholic or Christian, backing this man up. And it's really hard to watch. It is. But, but it really is this and even even going through Oregon, you know, I I had just driven on uh, a big stretch of Oregon to do a hike this weekend, and you know, to see the Trump Pence signs in everybody's yards in rural Oregon is really disheartening because I and, and then you see the crosses in their yard at the same time, and I'm just there. There seems to be a disconnect, and I really wish that they could see that some of these some of these things are are kind of contradictory in ways or hypocritical in ways. Um, but, but really getting back to this idea of race, we are, are, why? Yeah. And, and we are all, we're all the same. Like we, we are all the same. Like we've, we have different backgrounds and we are all raised differently, but we are all the same. And this guy that you're, that you're supposedly following and worshiping this Jesus guy, he came from, he came from the middle East and we know that he was, he's from Israel and he was ostracized for being slightly different, even though his views and his teachings are trying very to very different from that time, right? Right, because right. he was a radical, right? And and I think we we often see these people right now that are trying to foster some change as radicals, but really they're just they're just trying to become equal with everyone else and and not to be the subject of prejudice or bias or anything like that. And it seems to be this attack on not just not just white people or as far as they're saying, but attack on Christianity in some way. And it just seems strange to me. Yeah. And I and I'm curious if that was if that came up at all in the first civil rights movement where this was about God and, you know, and I don't know what your perspective on this, but God being white and Jesus being white and all these things when it's actually not true or unfounded or what? I think that Martin Luther King was the one that made, made us 
start thinking differently or maybe made us more realize what the the suffering that the black people the the horror that they had to live with we didn't know any of that you know you'd see the kid a black kid was killed down south and you think oh how terrible martin luther king kind of brought everything up to the forefront where we had to look at it where before it was just something that you heard about so that was the beginning of really thinking wow there's bad things going on out there and why why can't these people be treated the same as in anybody around the world yeah so that was that yeah did i answer that question yeah 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 absolutely um because because i often think you know i went i went for a run the other day and to think about this this guy this ahmad arbery who who was out for a run and was murdered and he's just he's just going off for a jog just like i would and i don't have to think about that stuff i don't have to think about well i i can't run through this part of town because you know i might be murdered just because of the color of my skin i can i can run through a, a black community here and not and not fear for my life i really can't they can't and they, they, they can't run through a white community without fear right and you know i've i've had this conversation with a few of my friends of color and it's it's the same and um i was listening to this this gentleman talk the other day and he was saying you know we from a young age we have to speak to our children about this because if they interact with a police officer they interact with somebody who is who is not um being kind to them that they need to really learn to just de-escalate and be proper and do all these things when not join in with the anger and the violence right right and you can't but yeah, that you, those feelings bring up yeah so but if somebody is screaming racist things at you how do you just not get angry at that yes yes and that's what that's, that's what, where we have to teach the our children right and and i feel too right and the fact that we don't have to think about that um we don't have to worry about about that on a daily basis and i think the way that this person put don't it don't have to but today we do yeah because this is what these protests are making us say we need to step up and right. that's where one of their questions was what do i see the difference in the generations now to when the generations now speak up your age group and and be low and be and above speak up where we always kept things within us. And that's where I think my parents grew up with. You don't talk about things. You, you hide anything that's going on other than, hi, how are you? Yeah. You don't speak about what is really going on in your life. Yeah. And this is what we need to teach our children. You need to watch out for yourselves, know the situation, and don't react to the emotions that are jumping in your face pretty much yeah yeah sit back and think about what you're gonna do and say yeah hopefully a more reflective um open right except you know your cousin cliff yeah we talked about this because he was here at marquette for a while for a year or more anyway we talked about this because he said then in the neighborhood around you uh, there were uh, angry people and we were to ask him, what are, well, what are you going to do if somebody comes up to you and says, give me your backpack, give me your iPhone, give me whatever. And he's going to say, I'm just going to talk with him. 
and just explain this belongs to me. And I said, you're so darn naive. Because Jody's brother-in-law was writing the Chicago L. Some young, I don't know that they were all black, but they were just punks, came on with guns. And he did that. He, he spoke up. He stood up and spoke up. You don't have the right. He never got the words out of his mind, mouth, and they shot him dead right there. So that's another thing that's we're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, you got to be careful. You can't even open your mouth to yeah. an angry person. Right. And I think every situation is different. I think that situation has definitely um, presented itself in many ways, shapes, and forms. Um, you know, that happened here in Portland on the flip side, um, where somebody was saying something to somebody on a, on a train and it was, there were racist remarks. This, this was vice, this was flipped. So you have, um, a white person who is irate and screaming racist things at somebody on a train. Somebody stood up for that person that was on the train. It wasn't even the person that was being yelled at and then was stabbed to death for speaking up for somebody else. Um, you know, that happens in every scenario that exists. And, and then, and then the, the you real, another one? yeah, sure. About your grandfather, Joe. So, so we drove to the Seattle to visit with my, my brother and his wife and Joe and uh, three of the, three of our kids anyway. So we were going to the Space Needle. We got on the tram or whatever it is in Seattle. And there were some punks in the same car and they were all of a sudden making remarks. So Joe or my brother stood up and said, watch your mouths. And that didn't, and that time the, the tram stopped and we got off and we were walking towards the needle and these guys were like walking on my brother's heels. And boy, my brother was not a patient man, very volatile. And he was, you could see he was getting mad. So he turned around and said, you know, get off my back and, or watch your mouth or what he was saying, lewd comments to the women that were there, nasty comments. And anyway, it grew to where your grandfather punched a guy so hard and had got him down on the ground and had his neck in his, in his throat. And the kids were screaming and, and my brother then pulled Joe off of the guy and we went into the needle and then pretty soon a policeman came off the elevator and looked around and then decided that it's, it didn't happen or whatever, you know, and he left. So there was another incident of, it was white on white, but punk against two military men. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so, probably happened no matter what. It's like, I think, sure, there needs to be some mutual respect given to, to everyone. I think being being observant and cognizant and respectful of those people around you is something that is really important. And that's, again, we're, we're not talking about white, black, Indian, Asian, Native American, indigenous, whatever you want to say. We're talking about just human beings, right? And you have, I think, some of these more extreme cases where, you know, whether there's extreme poverty that's driving people to make rash decisions or it's mental illness, where people are really struggling with this, you know, my most impactful moment 
in my life it has a lot to do with my brother and what happened with Louis when he had uh, his onset of mental illness. And that was a really powerful experience for me because it showed me how people thought about that and how it changes, changed their perception of him, even though he was my brother and he was still very much the same person um, at his core and maybe even kinder than he was before. Um, and that really made me mad in a lot of ways. So I think conquering that idea that mental illness is, is not a problem um, or that um, taboo, mental illness is taboo to talk about. I don't think that's the case. I think it should be more openly talked about and cared about to prevent a lot of these things from happening because I think that's that's a driver behind some of the things that we see. Certainly not um, all of the violence and the things being protested today are not about mental mental illness at all. It's all about you know this culture that we have of discriminating, even though it's kind of tucked behind the scenes and in under underneath the surface. But I think it's underlying. Uh, actions of the people around somebody that shows like well, your brother too it's the underlying actions and they take it as to what he said or what it did to the closest people because i could see a change in the relationships between uncle dave and and terry who were close to your folks yeah but after the incident and the, I guess it was the reactions of people that came after that, that changed, changed that whole close relationship that your parents had with Dave and Terry. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that situation is, is much more layered as well. Um, but yeah, I think it, it brought a lot of things to the, to the head and um, hopefully that can be remedied at some point, but I know that I know it weighs heavily on us as kids. Um, and Joe and I have spoken about it. Um, I've even spoken about it with my parents and as well as Dave and Terry. And I know you've probably thought about it and talked to people about it as well. Um, and it weighs on all of us, but ultimately it comes back to this idea that while it's, it's their responsibility to bury and there's nothing that we can do about it, um, it's really up to them. And if they, do, if they don't, if they think it's such a big deal to where they can't bury it, then that's, it is what it is. And it sucks, but at the same time, I know that I'm still going to be very close to Joe and Courtney and Cliff and Alex and Katie and the whole family, RJ, Sean, it doesn't matter to me because our relationships um, are will transcend that or any issues that are happening there. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Grandma Love. I just want to extend my thanks to her for sitting with me for over three hours as we experience some technical difficulties during recording and still provide her insight on the goings on of right now, currently in our world. Hope you join me next time on Zoom Out.